I heard about a brother and sister who were spending part of their summer vacation at their grandparents' farm. The little boy, Mark, had uh, just received a slingshot, and he couldn't wait to get to, uh, to the farm so he could try it out. And it seemed like every time that, uh, that, he would, that he would aim and fire, he just couldn't hit the target and just couldn't hit anything. And so he's walking across the, the back of, of the house, and uh, his grandma's pet duck comes waddling by in the distance. <laughs> Like I said, he hadn't been able to hit anything, so he he pulls back, as any little boy would do, right, and lets the stone fly, and sure enough, he hits the duck right in the head. The duck falls over dead right there, and then he panics. He's not sure what he should do. So uh, did probably what most of us would do. He grabbed the duck, and he hit it in the woodpile so that uh, no one could find it. But just as soon as he finished uh, his, his deed, he turned around, and guess who was there? But his sister <laughs> and his sister saw the whole thing happened uh, happen. And uh, it wasn't long after that that uh, that uh, grandma called out to the backyard and said, Susie, I need you to come in. It's your turn to set the table. And she she hollered back at grandma and said, no, Mark said that he wanted to do it today. And he looked at her and she just leaned in and said, remember the duck. And so off he went in to, to get the table set. And then uh, as they were finishing, finishing lunch, Grandpa said, hey, I think I'll take, take you all fishing this afternoon. And Grandma said, oh, no, well, today is Susie's day to help prepare dinner. So it'd probably be best if, if she would stay back and help get the dinner prepared. And, uh, and Susie said, oh, no, it's okay. I can go fishing because Mark said that he wanted to help with dinner tonight. And Mark kind of looked at him. And what did she do? She leaned in and said, remember the duck. And so sure enough, she went off fishing and he, he stayed back and helped grandma with dinner. This happened for several days when finally Mark had had all he could take. And he went up to his grandma and he said, I've got something I need to tell you. I made a big mistake. And I want you to know, grandma, that I killed the duck. And she said, Mark, I saw the whole thing happen from the window. I knew that you killed the duck and I was just waiting to see how long you would let Susie treat you like a servant. Somewhere along the line, haven't we all killed the duck? Can't we remember that time that we did something that we knew we shouldn't do? We said something that we knew we shouldn't say and every time we remember that incident... Whether it's, whatever the, the, the thing was, it's as if we hear the words whispering back to us, remember the duck. People silently suffer from the inside. There are people in this room this morning silently suffering on the inside with something that we can call guilt. Not able to let go of that past memory of something that they did, something they were involved in, something that they truly regret, something that they've even repented over, something that's been forgiven by the grace of God. And yet what happens? The adversary comes along and whispers in our ear and tries to keep us in that bondage even longer. How many times have you remembered a sin and felt guilty, even though you knew that God had forgiven you. Anybody ever felt that way before? Okay, handful of us are. Let me ask this. How many of you all have, have, ever, um, have ever lied in church on a Sunday morning because you were too afraid to raise your hand? Anybody? Okay. 
This morning, we're going to continue a series called Set Free. And we began this on Easter Sunday intentionally because the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought us new life. It has brought us a freedom. It has brought us the, the, uh, the ability to be set free from the bondage that this world has to offer. We saw how we can be set free from despair. Last week we saw how we can be set free from fear. And today, by God's grace, we're going to look to His Word and see how you and I can be set free from guilt. And folks, this is a huge issue. A huge issue. Something, again, that may be very silent, maybe something very internal, maybe something that you haven't even shared with those that are closest to you, but you struggle year after year letting go, finding the freedom that's found in forgiveness. And I want to tell you, based upon the authority of Scripture this morning, that as Christians, we were not meant to live life in the bondage of guilt. That's the main theme for the day. We weren't meant to live that way. Our sins have been forgiven in Christ, and we need not live with guilt and shame any longer. They don't have to live that way. We're going to take an outline this morning out of Psalm 32. We're going to look at the first five verses. But within that outline, I'm going to offer to you several passages of Scripture. And I'm going to do it a little different this way. Instead of trying to put every single one of them up, I'm just going to give you the references. I'll read them. Just allow the Word of God just to minister to you today, to encourage you from different different uh, uh, passages, different different. Uh, Parts of Scripture, but you'll see a common theme that we are not. We are not called to live in shame or guilt any longer. David wrote Psalm 32, inspired by the Holy Spirit. David wrote this psalm, and we know that he was not a perfect man. David was a sinner. You can read Psalm 51, and you can read how he he dealt with his sin. How he confessed his sin. And so Psalm 51 is one that that really is where he lays his heart open before the Lord. Psalm 32 is where he he testifies to what he has experienced by being set free through forgiveness. The very first Psalm talks about being blessed. Blessed is. Blessed is. You see this several times throughout the Psalms. Well, this is no exception. Here is a picture of someone who's blessed. Someone who is is joyful. Someone who is happy. Because they understand that their sins have been forgiven. They've been wiped clean. They've been set free. And David is speaking out of experience of one who's had sins forgiven. Let's look at the first five verses together. And then we'll look at some, uh, some principles that we can pull from it. Beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The conviction was weighing upon him. 
But look what took place in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let's see, first of all, this morning, looking at verse 5, that we must deal honestly with sin, our personal sin, your sin, my sin. We must deal with it honestly before God. You see, there is a constructive side when we think about guilt. Because this conviction leads us to repentance. It, it gives us an understanding that something is not right. It's kind of like that light that comes on in the dash, right? It's called the, uh, what kind of light is it? The check engine light, right? Which can mean about anything, right? It can mean you left your gas cap off. It can mean you've got major... It's amazing what that little light can stand for. But it comes on and it tells us that there's a problem, right? And we can either ignore it or we can take heed and say, okay, there's something here. That's, that's what the guilt begins with, to, to bring us to God, to allow Him to deal with the sin in our lives. And so there is that constructive side that brings us to Him so that our guilt can be removed. And David, if you look at verse 5, uses the word my several times. My sin, my transgressions, my iniquity. He wasn't trying to justify. He wasn't trying to rationalize. He was, he was clearly admitting that he was responsible for his actions. And he knew that he had to go before the Lord to receive forgiveness. We are in the same boat that David was in. In fact, the Scriptures tell us over and over again that all of us have sinned. Let me give you just a few of them. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. Nobody. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has sinned. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, before we can get to the good news of forgiveness, before we can get to the good news of, of, of your sin, your iniquity being covered, first... We have to understand that it exists so that we can bring it to the Lord, that we can confess. That we, confession literally means to agree with God, to see it from His perspective. I know we live in a world that, that uh, is working really, really hard to try not to agree with God on sin. A world that works really hard to try to justify, to try to rationalize. And we can get caught up in that thinking, right? But... The standard of truth is the Word of God, and it describes for us what is right and what is wrong. And when we look at that, we realize that these verses are true, that we all have sinned. We've all fallen short. And the penalty for that sin is expressed very clearly throughout Scripture. Whether you look in the book of Ezekiel that says, The soul that sins shall what? So surely die. Or Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. That, 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 that's, that's, that's the penalty of our sin. And so we, we know that, it, that, that we are sinners. In fact, John <coughs> excuse me, dealt with this in the book of 1 John. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But listen to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is what? 
faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, verse 10, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So this is the reality that as a as a fallen people, we are sinners. And because of that, we have been we have been disconnected from a holy God. We have we have in store for us a future of separation away from a holy God unless the sin problem is dealt with. And that's why all of these verses are very clear to help us see that we have sin and that we need it to be dealt with. And thankfully, that by confessing our sin, it can be forgiven. In fact, this goes directly back to Easter Sunday, because in Romans chapter six, our forgiveness, the the ability for us to live a new life is contingent upon the fact that Jesus Christ was victorious over the grave. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read a section here from verse 5 to 11. And you will see the connection of how our old lives have been buried. And just as Christ came back to life and triumphed over the grave, we too, being connected in Him, have our sin buried and have a new life in Him. It says in Romans 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Amen? No more dominion. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture for us of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. That we can be set free from sin, from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin. In order that we may be given instead a new life. And there are many, many here in this room that when you read Romans 6, you out of experience are saying, Amen. I remember Him bearing that old life. I remember Him giving me that new life. I remember that, that, that newfound hope that I received when I knew that my sin debt had been paid. And I believe that there are probably also some in here that are hearing that saying, that's exactly what I need. I need my sin to be dealt with. I need it to be paid for. And I would tell you that this passage right here, among others that we've read, is an invitation to come and allow Christ to take that from you. That by your confession, just as David did in Psalm 32, by acknowledging your sin, giving it to Him and allowing Him to deal with it for you. It means we agree with God, that we acknowledge that we have a need for Him. 
The ultimate answer for our sin is God's forgiveness. And I will tell you, every one of us need it. Every one of us. Several years ago, there was a a prank that was played in England by a British playwright. His name is Noel Coward. And he decided that he would write a letter, an identical letter anonymously, and send it to 20 influential people in London. The anonymous note to each of them simply read this. Everybody has found out what you're doing. If I were you, I would get out of town. Supposedly, all 20 of them left town. So what if you get that note tomorrow? What if you pull it open out of the mailbox and you read it? Everybody knows what you're doing. You better leave town. What would come to mind? What What would come to mind that maybe someone was writing about? You see, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous, as we read earlier, not one. And so we come with an understanding that it begins, the, the, the solution for guilt begins when we deal honestly with God and bring it before Him and allow Him to be the one to receive it. Here's the second point that I want to pull out of Psalm 32. Understand that God's forgiveness is complete. The forgiveness is complete. It's not partial. It's not like He does His part and you've got to now do the rest of it. He does it all. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Not that the person covered up their sin, right? We know better than that from what we've read. It's the fact that God has covered it. That God has given what was needed to deal with the sin that was present. When we confess our guilt to the Lord, He makes a promise to forgive us. He takes it away. He lifts the burden. He hides it from sight. He doesn't count it against us any longer. (coughs) Excuse me. One of my favorite passages is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And you probably have heard this before. Romans, chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And we said a couple of weeks ago that that Jesus himself said that he who has the son has been set free. And as we think about sin and we think about its bondage and we think about its penalty, we can see that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation. And so we look at at passages that, that tell us over and over again how our guilt has been dealt with. And yet it still seems like we have someone whispering to us to remember the duck, right? Over and over again. Just remember that. Remember this occasion. Remember that. And yet it's the judge who has made the ruling. It's the judge who has said that the moment you placed your faith in him, That you have been pardoned. It's as if the judge took the gavel and said, pardoned, forgiven. He doesn't say innocent. Why is that? Because we know we we know that we're guilty, but we've been set free. 
The debt has been paid. And so as we think about this idea of there being no condemnation left, it's a real encouragement for us to know that it's, it's something that was complete. That His forgiveness was not just halfway. In fact, Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of people that are living in strife. They're living in enmity with God because they haven't yet dealt with the sin problem. They haven't acknowledged it. They haven't confessed it. And they haven't received the forgiveness. But for those that have, they can understand what Peter was saying when in Acts chapter 3 he said, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times, do you remember this verse? That times of refreshing may come. Because when that sin has been dealt with, it's as if a whole new life has been given. In fact, that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, he said, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus was crucified. And because his crucifixion was complete, his death was real. The payment was genuine. You and I need not live our lives crucifying ourselves Over and over and over again. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he said a few statements that have been recorded. But one of them was translated in English as just simply three words. Do you remember what they were? It is finished. It is finished. The debt has been paid in full. How many of us worry about debts that we've had that have already been paid? Anybody still worrying about bills that have already been paid? Or are you worrying about the bills that have not yet been paid? We've got to pay taxes if you haven't already, right? We've got taxes due here very soon. Some of us are still worrying about 2015 taxes, right? If you haven't got them done yet, I'm sorry for the reminder, but it's probably a good thing to hear about it, right? That's 2015 taxes. How many of us are worried about the 2014 taxes? They're done, right? We've paid them. May not have liked that we had to pay them, right? We could talk about the fact that it was too much or it was whatever, how they used the money. But the point is this. We don't worry about the things that have already been paid. And when Jesus Christ was on the cross, He declared that it is finished. The price has been paid in full. You're no longer guilty because you've been forgiven. Yes, it was a high price. He took the penalty. He died the death. He received the punishment. He was the lamb that was slain. But He did it. He did it in order to set us free. To give to us by His grace a cleansing, a forgiveness And so there's no more condemnation. That's why Charles Wesley could write, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Brother and sister, 
If you hear the one whispering in your ear about something that is in the past, something that has been repented of, something that you've been forgiven for, that means that Jesus has dealt with it completely. Completely. And because of that, we can move to the third point. And that is to reject feelings of guilt and shame for an offense which has been forgiven. I carefully worded that point because I feel like it's important. How many times do we still bring that little bag along with us? No one may see that we've got it, but we've got it. Or maybe it's like a maybe it's more like a coat that we're just wearing and it's holding us back and it's weighing us down. And yet in light of what we see here in scripture, we don't have to have it any longer. The bag can be tossed aside, the coat can be set aside. We don't have to be held back and weighted down any longer. Because we can live in the reality of the assurance That the sin has been dealt with and there's no longer any need for guilt or shame. Christ has dealt with it completely and he has forgiven us. Verse 2 from Psalm 32. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. None. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know me very well. You don't know that I've done this, this, and this. You don't know that I've thought this, this, and this. And all I can tell you is what I read here in Scripture. And that is that blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And David is writing this out of the aftermath of one who had committed some pretty horrific sins, had he not? Think about it. Think about the adulterous relationship that he was a part of. Think about the the plotting to have this, this woman's husband, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put into a place where he would die. Think of all that he'd been a part of, and yet he's able to write these words. I think it was it was really important that God would use David to pen something like this, because we had an understanding of some things that he'd been a part of. And he says, the Lord counts no iniquity. Verse 5, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgets our confessed sin. And I know it's hard for us to do that. But I think that there's assurance that comes when we can remember that He set us free. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, the latter part of that verse says, For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. No more. Isn't that amazing that God says there's something that He would forget? He knows everything. But He has placed within Himself the ability to forget those things. I'm told that there's a medical condition that happens to people that have had the unfortunate experience of having a limb amputated. Have you heard of that? Someone that had to have a a leg amputated or maybe a finger or a hand or something. And then yet yet later on, they they still feel the pain as if it was still there. You ever heard of that? It's something like uh, phantom 
phantom limb pain or or something like that. It's like the brain just remembers because of so much pain that that limb had caused for such an extended period of time. It's as if it's been forever indelibly marked on the brain. And even when the limb is gone, the pain can still be there. Does that remind you of something we're talking about today? That even though the guilt has been removed, we can still have that pain. It's as if we had it on our brain for so long, we still allow it to come in on us. The memory of some sin committed years ago, crippling one's walk with the Lord, maybe even crippling one's relationship with others, maybe living in fear that someone will find out. But it is something that that is phantom because God has dealt with it. He has forgiven it completely. There's another word for guilt that we sometimes use, and that's the word remorse. And remorse is a uh, is a compound word coming out of the Latin and the the, the prefix there. maybe, Maybe that's the better way to say it. The prefix R.E. You can see that that's put on a lot of different words to talk about repetition, right? Well, this this word remorse comes from the word to bite or to gnaw. And it's as if by saying gnawing is going on over and over and over again. That's what remorse is, this internal gnawing over and over. Some call this type of guilt a ghost that haunts. And it's one, dear friends, that I will tell you is not of the Lord. In fact, one of the descriptions of Satan all the way at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 12, one of his descriptions as things are, are, being, are being documented about what it's like and what it will be like for him, there is a little statement that describes Satan as being the accuser of our brothers. So in light of Revelation 12, where do you think that those gnawing thoughts come from? Do you think that they're of the Holy Spirit? Do you think that they're of the Lord? Or do you think that they might be from the accuser? The one who's trying to hold us back. The one that's trying to keep us, keep our eyes off of what God has Intended the great and beautiful gift that he's given and what all he has in store for us. Instead, the accusers coming along, gnawing at us, haunting us, trying to put those things back within our view. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard when those voices come up You say, how do I how do I deal with it? Can I ignore those voices? Well, the first thing is we don't want to listen to them. We don't want to believe them. And I think that, 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 that what we need to do is that if those voices come in, we need to have another voice that is a gospel voice that is louder than those voices. And some of those we've looked at and we've put the verses up on the screen. Those are, the, those are elements of the truth that can combat the enemy, the accuser's lies. We can take words such as I have paid the debt in full. We can take 
Words such as, there is therefore now no condemnation. When someone, when some voice comes along to try to tell us that we need to feel guilty. When something comes in to tell us that there certainly won't be any future for us, we can remember back to promises that God has made His people. He told Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you to give you hope and a future. The enemy says you are a failure. You're untrustworthy. And we hear words from Scripture that say such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified. You are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by His Spirit, you have been set free. That's what I once was. That's who I once was. That's not who I am today. In Christ and by His grace, we can drown out those voices with louder shouts of the gospel. I think that must have been what Charles Wesley was doing when he wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart set free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head. That's His testimony. That's what he would shout when those other voices came along. As we wrap up this morning, I want to tell you that there are sometimes two different errors that we can fall into when we think about the mercy of God dealing with our guilt. The first one is this. There are some people who feel like they're good enough. That they don't need forgiveness. They don't need God's help. They don't need to have their slate wiped clean. They don't agree with God that, that, they, that they are a sinner. That's one, that's one perspective. And I pray that, that if, if that is you today, that you'll see that what you're doing is you're covering your sin. You're trying to, to, to fool yourself. And in doing so, you are not receiving the forgiveness that Christ so freely offers you today. I would love to talk and pray with you. If you have thoughts about what it means to deal with these things, this sin. But there's another error that some people fall into. And that is that there are some who think they are too bad to obtain his forgiveness. And for you, I would pray that God would 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 magnify your vision of him today to see how deep his forgiveness is. To see how extravagant His love is. To see how powerful His resurrection was in order to give you new life and to set you free. So regardless of of, of what you have been guilty of, may you take it to the Lord. You see, the series this morning is called Set Free. That we are to be set free from despair. 
To be set free from from fear and from guilt. Next week, I'm going to, Lord willing, deal with a topic that I that I feel like many of us may struggle with internally. And that is depression. Even though we see what we have in Christ, we still feel as if we're being pulled back. And it, it, it does obviously connect some with despair, but, but I want to get more specific on it next week. As I was thinking through this entire series, thinking of it in, in light of Easter, in light of the resurrection, there was a song that came to mind, and I, and I asked if, if Brian would be able to sing it for us. And it's a song that, 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 that can minister healing. A song that can, that can give us assurance that we are in Christ. And that because we are in Christ, we have been set free. We've been given new life. And we don't have to live in the bondages or the guilt of the past any longer. Maybe this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, there's something very specific very specific, that you could lay before the Lord and ask Him to receive, to take, to set you free from once and for all. Would you bow with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank You that Your Word is true, that Your forgiveness is real, that Your grace is complete, And we thank You, Father, that that David could testify about his state of, of, of being blessed because of the assurance of forgiveness. And God, I pray that at this moment right now, that Your Holy Spirit will come alongside and that You will minister today. That You will help those who are followers of You To see that they don't need to live in the chains of yesterday's sins. But that they've been set free. And God, if there are any among us today that have not yet trusted. That have not yet come to you for cleansing and for forgiveness. Father, I pray that today can be a day of salvation. A day where they are made new again in you. Father, we thank You for dealing with those things that hit us at our very core. And we pray that You'll continue even now to minister to us through song. Minister now even as we give back. That You'll bless even as we continue worshiping You now. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.